Yeah, so kids, look, I really, I haven't prepared a whole bunch for you today. I'm sorry, normally I try to integrate some stuff for you, but we've got the kids packs there. If you can try and listen, that'd be awesome. We're going to be talking about seven words. I've got seven words for everybody today. Seven words. They're W words. There's seven W words. And what they're going to do is they're going to encapsulate what faithfulness is. And I've played around with the hyphen just to expose that when you say faithful, it's talking about faithful, being full of faith. So I wanted to have that up as you were coming in just so that you could sort of think through what faithfulness is because last week we learnt and saw faithfulness embodied. Remember, we talked about those words was with us from that dude. Does anyone remember his name? Was with us. Starts with A, yep. Do you remember his name? <laughs> and my whole point, which you've kind of, we're kind of proving again, was that this guy, this guy was a nobody. He really was. He was a nobody from nowhere. And we can't even remember the second week <laughs> what his name is, which is really cool, was with us. So we talked about this dude that whenever Paul turned around, it seemed, even on his trip to Rome, here he was. And we didn't know his name because oftentimes we just read over his name. We don't read over Paul's name or John's name or James's name. We tend to see them as kind of up in highlights in the church. But here was this dude. Aristarchus, yes, that's right, Aristarchus. Anyway, the whole point of my sermon was there was this dude called Aristarchus who was a nobody from nowhere. And yet to Paul, he was really special. He shows up like four or five times and he's just this embodied faithfulness dude because who's heard of Aristarchus? We couldn't even remember him the second week. And then my whole point of the sermon was he was from this church called Thessalonica, which in those days was about 100,000 people, not in the church, in the city, and really... That wasn't even that well-known a place. And so he was this nobody from nowhere. And yet over and over again, this guy shows up in Paul's life. And every time Paul turns around, he's about to get beat up by another mob. He's about to go to Rome to face Nero on the ship. There's Aristarchus. And I started thinking to myself, what was it about Aristarchus and his church that made him so special to Paul, that made him faithful? And then I began thinking about all the nobodies from nowhere. And I sort of had this thought, I was like, if you took out all the big name Christians in the church, say post New Testament times, so you took them all out. So I'm I'm talking all the biggies, Augustine, all the church fathers, took out the Reformation dudes, Martin Luther, John Calvin, just took them all out. Does God's kingdom still grow? Yeah, it's just that these dudes have actually written stuff down, right? So they're very well known because we can go back and see what they've written. But there's all these people like Aristarchus that over 2,000 years have been faithful nobodies from nowhere. And if you took them out, the church instantly... Because that's how God has chosen to do things, not with big name people, but actually small name people, the poor, the downtrodden, the weak, the despised in society and the nobodies from nowhere in society, and the church has just really grown. So that was my whole sermon, just in one little bit. And as you can see there, the scripture that I put up is when Paul goes to Rome. And you've probably just skipped over it before, but he says, we boarded a ship to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea, and a nobody called Aristarchus, a Macedonian from nowhere, Thessalonica, was with us. And when we look at the church... At Thessalonica, which we did a little bit last week at, in First and Second Thessalonians. And I'm just asking today, because I'm going to go over a lot of different passages, I'm just asking today whether you can kind of engage with me, because what will happen as you're reading the Word is if you, like me, you'll read a bit and you go, I'll read the commentary, read this bit, and then you won't actually engage with where we're going, because next week 
We're going to engage with these seven words even more. We're going to engage with them in an interactional way and we're actually going to sit with each of them and pray about the next Out Circle Sunday in relation to these seven words of faithfulness. But where it all came from was this church at Thessalonica where it says, or Paul says as he writes to them, and he's a bit worried because he's not sure whether they would have actually survived because he was only there for three weeks and then he was run out of town. So you can imagine this pagan city and now there's a small Christian church. You're thinking to yourself, there's no way that church can survive after three weeks. So he writes to them a few, probably a few months, maybe a few years later, and he finds out that, well, this is what he finds out from First Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And it says that, Paul says, your message rang out, like it just radiated out. And when you look at that, I circled Macedonia and Achaia in ancient times. Does anyone recognize what that is in modern times? Greece. It's all of modern Greece. So what he's saying is you have become a model, something to be imitated to all of Greece. Now, when you look at Greece, you've got Athens, you've got Sparta, you've got Corinth, you've got all these places. And Paul's going, hey, everyone in Greece, look at Thessalonica. Look at that little church of nobodies from nowhere. Look at what's happening there. And of course, for obvious reasons, because we're a little church of nobodies from nowhere, it became fascinating to me. And so last week, we sort of played around with who Aristarchus was, And it's all led up to this idea of faithfulness and this idea of can we rethink our rhythm and our rule? Can we rethink what it means to be a faithful church? Because we all have expectations in our minds and the burden of expectation is such that perhaps success is a Hillsong type model. Perhaps success is, I don't know, Willow Creek, Willow Burn. We might get some redirected traffic sometimes. Uh, those big, big things that we tend to see. And what I'm trying to say to you is let's rethink that, particularly as we go into this rhythm, this new rhythm and rule. And wherever you're at, I'm just asking you to be, to be open to that. So that's why you're in this open, <laughs> open circle thing. So, uh, so this is interesting. So what, one of the things that I noticed as I was going through, and I've just been soaking in Thessalonians 1 and 2, and I encourage you to read it. It's really easy to read or listen to in an audio Bible. Um, and I might even post some stuff on on Facebook for us to have a look at through the week. But Paul says this, he says, night and day. So he's really, he's really pra- he's praising the Thessal- Thessalonian church. You'll see that over and over if you read through it in your own time. Whereas, say, the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, he's got some pretty harsh things to say, necessary things, but firm things. Whereas here he's, he's praising them. But he says this. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So he said, on one hand, the church, you've, your message has rung out through all of Greece. And, but I really want to come back to you and visit you so that I can supply what is lacking in your faith. So on one hand, he's saying he's faithful. But on the other hand, he's saying there's a little bit of faith minus going on. Your faith is full. Your faith is awesome. But there's a little bit of minus. And we'd like to turn that into a faith plus. Is essentially so that's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to go, let's hold up our faith full, maybe faith minus to these seven words I'm going to give you, and let's hold it up in light of where we're going into the future. I don't, don't really mind what's happened in the past with the church, let's just think about the future now and let's think about what it means to be faithful, what it means to go perhaps from faith minus to faith plus. 
you know, a bit like an A minus to an A plus. That kind of thing. And so the question is that Paul raises and the Holy Spirit raises through Paul is what is lacking in our faith? What is lacking in our faith? Why can't we be like the church at Thessalonica where the message rings out through all of the Darling Downs and through all of Southern Queensland and in fact through all of Australia because of a church of nobodies from nowhere. And I'm not talking about getting on today, tonight or a current affair, although that can be, that can be good or bad, couldn't it? Um. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about being known in the kingdom, being known to God as a faithful church so that we can all be those people that one day we hear God say to us, maybe with an angel with a trumpet, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. So what we're doing today is just rethinking and then next week, we're going to re- next week we're going to rework. So the pattern will be in the first Open Circle Sunday will be rethink, a bit of theology. Second Open Circle Sunday will be rework where we actually go practically, what does this now mean for us? How does God's word engage and embody itself into action in our lives? So does that sound fair? Is that, does that make sense so far? All right. With the idea being that we're then equipped for the third circle. And then the, th- the third Sunday, sorry, the full circle, uh, out circle Sunday. Which is kind of what it looks like up there. So you've got your rethink today. Next week is rework. The third Sunday is our sharing. So we're going to share our lives Sunday in the out circle Sunday. And then the fourth Sunday is we're going to review. So rethink, rework, share, review. And the f- last Sunday is going to be a big circle. Some food in the middle with communion. And we're just going to share what, how our out circle went. And we're going to pray for each other. It's going to be very loose, very informal. Um, might sing a few songs if you want. Just bring a guitar. Uh, text them all to everyone or whatever. And that's how that's going to roll. So that's our, new, that's our new paradigm. Before we go there, though, none of that structure matters an iota without considering faithfulness. So that's why we're here. We're going to look at faithfulness. So... Before I go into these seven words, a few weeks, it was it a few months, it's all a blur. I preached on the essential thing of faithfulness and I think I came to the conclusion with you that it was connectedness to Jesus. It was the idea of abiding in Jesus. You know, the John 15, 5 thing, abide in me. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we talked about how relationships were actually the basis for everything. And our relationship for God, with God, and with each other is the basis for everything in terms of whether the church will be successful in its kingdom identity and its kingdom objectives. So all of these things that I'm about to go through, the seven words, and I'm going to go through them relatively quickly, all of them are going to, I think, highlight an aspect of connectedness to Jesus. Because ultimately this Thessalonian church was so inspired, so gripped by Jesus through his spirit. That's why their message rang out. So the first word, and this is how I intro each one, is what is lacking in our faith? What might take faith minus to faith plus? What might help us better connect with Jesus and with each other? From Thessalonians, all these words come from Thessalonians. They don't exist without Thessalonians. The first one is work. I'm just talking work. Work. Your work. Paul's was tent-making work, but I'm talking whatever job you're in, whether you're an engineer, a pilot, an officer, whatever. Or your work at home, because that's real work as well. That's probably where the real work happens, actually. Now, I've got a couple of verses, and I'll just go through them. So, firstly, and you'll see these all through Thessalonians. 
Firstly, we see that in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, We weren't looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother, caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. Hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Later on, Paul's going to say, this is a model for you. So right now he's saying, I came to you. I didn't go to and open up a big mega church. What I did was I got into the tent making, which would have been a bit like a saddle maker. They would have made all sorts of things out of leather, not just saddles or tents. Uh, And so he works side by side. So can you imagine working by Paul? Just, just, just being at maybe you know, Priscilla and Aquila come into the equation later on, not in Thessalonica, somewhere else. But can you imagine working next to him? Hey, Paul, what are your, what are your thoughts on uh, infant baptism, mate? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the spiritual gifts? You know, like you're working because it's probably not loud. They don't have power tools. And you're able to talk back and forth. And you're actually able to see how he relates. You know, when he gets a bit cranky, maybe, what he does when he gets a bit irritated, you actually are able to see him, not just from the pulpit, where everything's kind of cool and air-conditioned, not today, but in everyday life, in the everyday pressures, like when someone's swearing their head off next to him or telling dirty stories. or You get to see him. You get to see him in his work. And he says later on that that is a model for you. So later on in First Thessalonians, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, And to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you won't be dependent on anyone. There it is again. This is Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the Bible, telling you to work. So whether it's work at home, work at work, whether it's work at uni, he's saying there is something about work which is not just in spite of your ministry, it is your ministry. It is your ministry. And there's some good reasons for it which we won't go into today. Later on, he says, and we're just moving through chronologically with this particular word, work. He says, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. So this was a church where their elders were working. This work is literally labor and toil. They were literally out there doing tent making or whatever else. And then they were looking after the church as well. He says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So he's actually saying, if you're idle, you need to be warned. So work is this really important part of the church's faithfulness. Work is this really important part of the the message radiating out into all of Achaia, or all of Greece at the time. And then later on, he's even more blunt. He says, From every brother who is idle and doesn't live according to the teaching you receive, keep away from them. So there's this bad witness kind of thing going on there if they're saying they're a Christian and then they're not working hard. And then he says, for you yourselves know how we ought, how you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to you. And again, he says, this is an example for you. So so do you think it's an example for Willowburn as well? I think it is. I think part of the faithfulness, and what I'll do, I'll I'll send out a PDF or something, and you can take all the passages and maybe attach them to each of these seven words and it becomes an awesome structure for memorization. Um, Just to maybe even preach to yourself when you are at work. 
So if we ask how we can take our faith minus to faith plus, well, one way is to see our work as not inspired of ministry or sort of on the side of ministry, but actually ministry itself. And I could give you many examples of the opportunities I've had to be a witness, to share. You know, he's talked a few months ago about how I got to share at our leadership retreat, pretty much my testimony. Work just brings all these opportunities. I'm a pilot. I get to talk to other pilots. Ben's an engineer. He gets to talk to other engineers. Camille's a mum. She gets to talk to other mums. Can you imagine me talking to another mum about mum stuff or Ben talking about pilot stuff? It doesn't work. But what God does is he puts us all in these places and then he says, be faithful there. So this first word is, is work. Work. There's seven, seven words, six to go. So what is lacking in our faith? What might take our faith from faith minus to faith plus? What might help us better connect with Jesus and with each other as we go into this circles ministry, as we go into the future as a church? The word. Work, word. Actually, they alliterate the first two letters for the first four words, five words. That's cool. First Thessalonians 2.13 says this, We also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. In 2 Thessalonians, later on, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word or by mouth or by letter. And then it talks about, he says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So this Bible, maybe we should hold our devices up again. (laughs) This Bible or hard copy Bible that you've got, or if you're more kind of modern, you've got your device. This word is such an integral part of the faithfulness of the church. You know, actually, as I'm thinking and as I'm preaching, I'm just realizing that these seven words, man, in so much as they're encapsulating the life and rhythm and rule of the Thessalonian church, they're absolutely essential to you. Like, actually, if you fall asleep in this sermon, not that you do, well, sometimes you might. Um, it's not good. It's not good because this is, this is the vibrancy, the vigor of the church. Um, and we only know about it because of the word. So in those days, they didn't, have a, they didn't even have a Bible. They had the Old Testament scriptures and they had Paul and the apostles running about orally telling them the word. Now we've got it written down in these amazing stories and all these different prose and different styles of literature. And I just, again, encourage you, if you aren't regularly in the Word and you're not regularly in it as a family, and I know we're all busy, just be creative then, have it as an audio Bible or whatever. But if you're not on a daily basis soaking yourself in the rhythm and rule of the Bible, in the characteristics of the Bible, uh, then you're probably not actually connecting to Jesus because I don't know where else what other, what other book directly shows us who God is and who Jesus is? And often I don't even see, you know, the word, the, the Bible, it is just a book in, in one way. But in another way, it's this window, this portal to Jesus. And there's plenty of other messages on Netflix, streaming Netflix and everything else that are shaping who you are. But please, if you're going to be faithful, come back to the word, come back to the word. So... What is lacking in our faith? What takes our faith minus to faith plus? What reconnects us to who Jesus is? 
it's the word. And remember, again, next week we're going to go into these and engage with these in a bit more of a practical way. So today's just putting it out there. The word that leads us to, introduces, reintroduces, reminds us, connects us to the Lord Jesus and to God and to his precious Holy Spirit. So that's the first two words, work and word, work and word. The first two, I guess, life streams within faithfulness. So what is lacking in our faith? What might take our faith minus to faith plus? What might help us better connect with Jesus and with each other? I was going to put woe. It's actually hard to find some words when you want to alliterate seven words. You got, man, I had word hippo out. I had my thesaurus out. Um, I was going to put woe, which is affliction because of misery. And then I thought, oh, nah, I'm going to go with wound. Wounds. If you want to be faithful to God, you're going to collect yourself some wounds. I think about my own life. I could have saved myself so many wounds by not being involved in church ministry. I could have saved myself so many wounds by not being involved in work ministry where I've deliberately thought this is not God's just and right way. Somebody needs to make a stand, make a stand, and then it's whack-a-mole time and you're the mole. I could have saved myself so many wounds. And the Thessalonian church was actually the same. They could have saved some, themselves so many wounds by just going, and I'm talking metaphorically, you know, physically, they had physical wounds as well, but spiritually, emotionally, um, they could have saved themselves so many wounds by just ignoring Paul when he came through. It says in First Thessalonians that you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, where in Christ Jesus they had suffered from their own countrymen, and now the same things you're now suffering. And then later on he says, we don't want you to be unsettled by your trials. You know quite well, now, now mark this, I don't often say that, mark this. How do you mark that on a smart device? I don't know, highlight it, that we were destined for them. So you are predestined as a Christian for a whole bunch of things, and one of them in this world is wounds. Who here doesn't have wounds because of their Christian faith? We all have wounds, don't we, of one degree or another. Now, be careful because sometimes those wounds might just because we're a bit silly sometimes and a bit dumb, a bit hurtful, a bit mean. But oftentimes they're because we're Christians. So persecution, suffering and so forth, they all come. And again, you'll see it all through Thessalonians. It talks about their love that's increasing. And then he says, we boast about your perseverance and your faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring, in the wounds that they're receiving from their fellow countrymen. He says, that is actually awesome because your faith hasn't crumpled and folded, it has continued. So what is lacking in our faith? What might take our faith minus to faith plus? It's, it's wounds. And if you want to go back a couple of sermons, actually it was to the mental health one, where we talk about what it means for God himself to disable himself, to wound himself in a sense, to disempower himself. And then that becomes the model for us. Take up your cross every day. There's something about that. I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. So the fourth word. So what have we got so far? We've got work. We've got word. We've got wound. Well, they're all W-O words so far. This one is as well. This is worth. Living a life of worth. And I mean life of worth to God. 
And a life of worth to God is a holy life. It's a set apart life. Your, your DNA, your rhythm and rule inside you as a Christian is different to that of the world. Your, yours is not about consumption. It's not about getting ahead. It's not about self-independent kind of rule and look at me, look how great I am. It is this, this, this lowly life, this life that's set apart, this life that's clean, this life that's sanctified. Uh, in First Thessalonians, again, we are told, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. So this again was a model that Paul was presenting. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of the kingdom. Sin's a terrible thing, isn't it? Because sin like a contaminant in the soil, gets into your spiritual life, it gets up into like, like a bad bit of roundup or something, gets into the tree and the tree then begins to wither, fail. And people go, what's wrong with that tree? It's got good soil, it's got good air, it's got the sun, it's, everything's cool, but it's got water, but there are contaminants there. And that's how I see often it's one picture of sin. There's many others in the Bible. But sin is a terrible thing because it causes this dysfunction in our lives. And God is saying, Separate yourself from that. Separate yourself from patterns of life that encourage sinfulness in your lives. Live lives worthy. Live, live a sanctified life. As it says here, for God did not call us to be impure, these impurities, again, that sort of metaphor, but to live a holy life. And it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. This actually ties back to Acts 15, doesn't it? When they're going, are the, are the Gentiles also chosen for salvation? Yes, they are, because they've got the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what should they do then? Should they be circumcised? Should they obey the law of Moses and all 661 uh, commandments? No, 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 no. <laughs> all they need to know is you've got the Holy Spirit, abstain from sexual immorality, and I think uh, meat, you know, sacrifice with blood in it, that kind of thing. That's it. Because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us will lead us into that holy life. Again, he says, uh, as we progress through in the second Thessalonians, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. And then he talks about how we pray that that will then see Jesus glorified. So in terms of faith minus to faith plus, I really encourage you to think about and pray about this idea that there might be contaminants in your life, ongoing things. And I don't want you to get fixated on it or anything like that, but if there's habitual things that are going on in your life that are acting like a contaminant in that tree, that good tree, then just take it to the Lord. Just get curious about it and just ask the Lord to help you. Maybe get some help from brothers and sisters. Get some partnerships going that can help you with that. So what do we got? We got work, word, wound, worth. So the first four are all W-O, W-O words. Um, the next one is warmth. What is lacking in our faith? What might take faith minus to faith plus? What might help us connect better with Jesus and with each other? I was really hoping for a, a W word that went with hospitality or sharing of our lives. I couldn't find it. So I just thought of warmth. Like when you think of a warm welcome into a house, or, you know, that warmth that you have. It's almost like fellowship is a warmth. It's often described as a warm thing, not a hot thing, a warm thing. Um, 
And we see this sort of here where Paul says, we know that you, we, you know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from men, nor from anyone else. We could have been a burden to you. And then later on in verse eight, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So this faithfulness that rings out from Thessalonica has warmth, it has hospitality, it has the sharing of life. And Paul says, this is a model for you. And I've got no doubt at all that in that church at Thessalonica, people were opening up their homes on their out circle Sundays or whatever. They're inviting people in. Maybe they're inviting them to go for a run with them. They'll go fishing with them. Uh, Maybe they're inviting them to come out on their boat. Maybe they're inviting them to come and make something together. They were sharing their lives. You know, it's easy to tell someone to go and share the gospel. It's far harder and a much longer view and a much longer goal to actually share your life. And I think about your family, Dan, like, you know, that Muslim background. I mean, what are we talking there? Decades? Decades of someone probably sharing their life or many people. Think about that for a minute. And, and yet Paul says this is what will make the gospel ring out. So I really want you to think next week or so the week after uh, or even just going into the future, how can I share my life? How can I share this warmth? Maybe it's take someone to the gym with you. Maybe it's take someone out for a coffee. Maybe it's have more people over to your home. I don't know, but I really ask that you just pray and let God lead you in that. We'll be open to that. All right, so what do we got? We got, we got work, we've got word, worth, wound, warmth, two to go. So what else is lacking that Paul says or wants to take their faith minus and put it to faith plus what might help us better connect with Jesus and with each other? Again, I wish I could have had a W word for eschatology, which is end times. (laughs) Because most people go to Thessalonians for the end time stuff. And obviously, Paul wants us to have, and the Thessalonian church, to have a want for the new kingdom. A want for the new life. A want for Jesus' return. A burning, yearning desire for Jesus and his return, where he sets all things right. And the rhythm and rule of his kingdom is finally established and... Like, oh man. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And this is what he says. Now you'll find many words about this all through Thessalonians. I've just given you a brief snippet. Then he says, encourage each other with these words. When was the last time you encouraged each other with Jesus is coming to set in place a new kingdom rule, a new kingdom life. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. You know, the people that you've lost, the people that have died, that are in the Lord Jesus, they will be raised with these supernatural super bodies. When when was the last time you encouraged each other with those words? Think back. When was the last time you encouraged yourself with those words? All through Thessalonians, Paul's going, don't forget over the horizon, there's a new kingdom coming. And it changes everything, doesn't it, really, if you think about it. Suddenly the work and the faithfulness and everything takes on a new vigor. It gets a sharper edge. So I encourage you, maybe even just this this week, just read those eschatological words, those wanting words like um, for the new kingdom and and maybe just ask God to give you a yearning and a want for that because it brings everything else into perspective. 
It reminds me of my favourite verse from John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And it says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. So, well, we're getting harder now. We're up to six, aren't we? All right, help me out. So we've got work, word, wound, worth, warmth, want. I've got too many fingers up, sorry. <laughs> got one more. One more and wonder. You've seen one. Now, I put wonder up. Oh, I was going to capitalise that. I put wonder up. This is the last one, and we're actually going to finish off the sermon very shortly. I put wonder up because wonder, wonder, is the wonder of the companionship, the counsel, the conviction, the power of the Holy Spirit and connectedness to him. That is, and in fact, you could wrap everything else up into that because this one here, and I hesitate to even have it as a, a seven, but I'll show you this chiasm in a minute. It should just be infusing everything. But this wonder, I mean, this wonder, I mean, who feels that sometimes? At the, at the funeral, Dan, you were talking about that or, you know, this wonder of, of, of God, the Holy Spirit with us, of Emmanuel, it's just incredible. And, and Paul, it's actually, it's not, doesn't mention it too many times, doesn't mention the Spirit too many times, doesn't mention him too many times. But it's pretty obvious that the Holy Spirit is infusing everything. So right at the start, he says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Now, literarily, there's something going on in the text, which you may not notice, but Paul is well known to use a literary device called a chiasm. So a chiasm is like a pyramid where you basically have, it means a few different things, but in this instance, it means the middle verse is the most important verse, not actually the first or the last or the middle section or clause or whatever. So that's why I've put it that way as a bit of a pyramid, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And I put wonder at the back because what you've got is with the Holy Spirit is power and deep conviction. When the, when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to draw all men to Jesus and all people to Jesus, it comes with power and with deep conviction. Now you are a person, so you can actually resist the Holy Spirit. We're told that over and over again in scripture. The Jews did it many, many times of the day. Um, the, the angry Jewish people at that time. But he comes with power and deep conviction. And when we open ourselves up to him, we are radically changed. Later on, we're told that if you reject this instruction, you are rejecting not man, not Paul, but the Holy Spirit, but God who is the Holy Spirit. So if you reject these seven words of faithfulness, if you today go out of here and go, man, that was really interesting, but I've got this and that to do, you're not rejecting Adrian Park. You're not rejecting Willowburn Church. If I've been faithful to God's word, you're actually rejecting his Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that you have to go out of here all fired up. But it should mean that at least you go out of here with a respectful kind of, I need to maybe read Thessalonians myself. I need to think about these words. Maybe I even need to memorize them. Maybe I even need to attach some verses to them and use them almost as a spiritual litmus test. Because otherwise we're not rejecting Adrian, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, these are the pew pew verses in First Thessalonians. I'll call them pew pew because there's, there's so many of them. It's like, be joyful always, pray continually, give faith, pew 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 pew. 
It's like Paul wants to finish off and he's got all these verses and he packs them in. Pew, pew, pew. Um, be joyful always. Pew. Pray continually. Pew. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with content. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And again, it's actually chiastic because the most important part is in the centre of all that. It's, it's one sort of thought, one thought idea. And it's, guess what? The one in bold. What does it say? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So all those other things depend on the Spirit's fire. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The worst thing can happen to you, but you can still give thanks because you've got the companionship of the Holy Spirit and you've got the new kingdom coming. All things that the Holy Spirit is in, kind of invoking and calling up within us. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Today we've heard little glimmers of how spiritual gifts might work in our church. Prayers of discernment, angels, manifestations. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Pew, pew, pew. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's the most important part. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. The Spirit comes with fire, which is a metaphor for change, for energy, for life. Sometimes also for burning up of dross and impurity. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. And enjoy the wonder. The wonder of God with us. I just, I just, I think it's so cool. Here's the quote from A.W. Tozer in full. I've mentioned it a few times. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been drawn, withdrawn from Thessalonica, from a New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. What if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from your life? Would people notice a difference? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from our life, like, we're actually more and more now at risk because we're putting ourselves sort of almost... Like when you've got structure and in a big church, it, it's almost a protective thing. But now when we, when we listen to people, I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> you could say crazy, radical stuff. And so whenever we, whenever we are drawn along by the Holy Spirit, we're actually going to be uncomfortable, I think. You know, even with the mental health stuff with Camille and other things, you know, we've been very open about that. And sometimes it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's gritty and it's in your face. It's not polished. I mean, I would, oh, it'd be so nice just to have 10 songs today. But it'd also be so easy. It, and if we'd had 10 songs, yeah, the, and say we had an awesome band, awesome, great. But we don't get to hear from Dan. We don't get to hear from Ruth. We don't get to hear from um, Sally. You know what I mean? That's what we miss out on. So it's having... having songs and awesome structure and stuff but it's actually being open and being led by the holy spirit and what will happen more and more in the future is if you take the holy spirit out of the church we will implode we will fail or or even worse we'll continue on as a mausoleum of faith you know what a mausoleum is a crypt because there's because because that's what happens you just keep the structure but no life no wonder so I'm going to finish off there. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for helping me with the seven words. What were the seven words again? The seven words of faithfulness. Work. Do we get them all? Everyone was saying the different times. Oh, will I burn? Will I burn? A church of the work, word, 
what was it, wound, warmth? I can't remember myself now. I'm under pressure. I think it'll really roll off the tongue, won't it? Willow burn. So as we, as we finish off, just again, consider this church, you know, Aristarchus, no, nobody from nowhere. Think about these seven words, these seven faithfulness words. That, that, that they're, they, that, they're things that I think, oh, man, you can only see that. <laughs> oh, I did it? Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's like, this is where we're at, and the Lord wants to brighten that all up. <laughs> just brighten it right up for Willow Burn. So, yeah, I wish I could just brighten that up, but I can't right now. So, yeah, Willow Burn is going to be a church of work, of word, of, of, of wounds, of worth, of warmth, of want, and of wonder. So I think, I think that's pretty cool. I think we can finish off there. Uh, again, that's what the structure is going to look like. So today we've rethought, we've just thrown some of these things out. Next week, we're just going to be very simply, I'm not going to sit there and do like word exercises with you, but we're going to put each of the word up and we're going to pray about it as a church together. And we're going to ask the Lord to give us some insights. Maybe we're going to share with each other as we go through each of those words. That'll be next Sunday, the rework. So rethink today, rework, and then out circle. We go into the out circle. We'll all of that. Um, in our hearts and in our minds. So we come to a time of communion now, and I'm pretty sure that, as the word would have told them, the church at Thessalonica, Aristarchus and his buddies, his brothers and sisters would have gathered in probably a very different place to this, but to do the same thing, which is to remember Jesus, to remember his body broken for us, to remember the blood spilt for us to remember that what he has secured for us is the wonder of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been now given to us so that we can walk in companionship with God. But it's all because of the Son. It's all because of the Father sending the Son, the Son being willing to accept suffering on our behalf, to accept wounds on our behalf. So I'm going to pray about that. And then in your own time, I encourage you very quietly just to come up, take of the bread, and the drink, and we'll hold the cup together. Sally, would you break the bread for us today? Thank you.